All right, well, you may be seated. Uh, I know hey, this is your first time here, and you're like, man, I showed up to church, and they made me pray. Like, that shouldn't be that shocking. I mean, you did come to church. Guess what we're going to do next? We're going to open the Bible and, and, and talk about that there as well. But be, before we do that, I mean, yes, I mean, uh, if you're like me, you know, the news of Ukraine dominated this week from, from kind of that, that big story standpoint. Uh, and yet, uh, I just want us, because I, I look around this room, and there's a lot of people new in the last year, in the last three years, in the last five, uh, and and beyond, uh, and um, there, there's a member of our community um, that, that passed away this week, um, and, and we don't always highlight that. Um, uh, they're not part of our church at this moment, but they're absolutely influential in the fact that we're in this place and space. And so um, for those of you that maybe were part of First Baptist or, or just learning that, that, we, uh, that First Baptist kind of died and folded into us five years ago, um, from the, the early 70s to late 80s, um, Dave Grant was the pastor uh, of what was Marysville First Baptist Church. And um, Dave has had an amazing legacy here uh, in Snohomish County. Uh, he's got um, uh, two daughters and a son. He's got a bunch of grandkids. One of his grandsons is my son's best friend. And um, when, um, when, when I heard about this over this last week and was praying for him and his family, and he has relatives in the church here as well. Lauren, who is helping to lead worship, is related to Dave and um, as I thought about this, uh, five years ago when we moved in this place and space and I talked to the, the members of First Baptist and said, hey, what, like, like, what, what, was the, what was the best time you remember in the last 30, 40 years of, of the church? Like, when was it healthy? When, when, when was it really flourishing? And every single person said, when Dave Grant was the pastor. Because he preached the Bible. Because he loved Jesus. And I got to interact with Dave um, just a handful of times, and part of that was him coaching me as we came into this place and space, and hey, Chris, watch out for this, and watch out for those folks, and kind of, kind of that deal. And I just, what I appreciated about Dave uh, most, and if you're friends with his family members and you see this on social media, is um, Dave had a smile that was so contagious. And I think it's a joy that comes from knowing Jesus. And in all the pictures you see, he's holding one of his grandkids, or he's laughing, or he's smiling. And, and you know, I'm friends with his son. Like, like, I see that smile on his son. I see that smile on his grandkids, and I see that smile on his daughter. And so I just, for, for us here at Mercy Fellowship, we're such a transient group of people, right? We're all just a bunch of sojourners from all over, and we, we come to the Northwest, and we leave the Northwest, and we come to the Northwest, right? Um, but, but Dave set down roots in, in, in Marysville and in Snohomish County, and he pastored here for 18 years, 17, 18 years, pastored as well um, at New Life in, in Everett uh, for several years. And, and the, the man led a legacy of faithfulness and joy in Jesus. And I don't know if we have another day, another couple thousand days, uh, you know, another dozen years or another, you know, you know, a couple decades, but my hope and prayer for each and every one of us is that our legacy would be one of joy in Jesus. And so if you know the grants, uh, be praying for them, reach out to them. When I have news of things like memorial services and all that, uh, we'll definitely let you guys uh, know uh, about that. Um, but just, just know that you are in a place and space today that is because of a legacy of faithful brothers and sisters in Christ that came before us. And so we are humbled and we are honored to get to, to be in this place. And, and, and even just, uh, I've been thinking for the last five years, I mean, this is, this is the same stage that Dave preached from um, for, for years and years. 
Uh, and so um, with that, I want to um, kind of transition, if I can, into, into our series, right? We're gonna, uh, we just launched last week a, a new series uh, in the book of 1 Peter that we called Rooted, Living, Scattered, Not Shattered. And um, you can grab one of the, the scripture journals we have that has all of First and Second Peter in it. Um, you can grab our discipleship guide, which will let you know where we're at today. But man, I, I just, you know, we, we schedule out these sermons, you know, weeks and months in advance. And, and then to, to come to a week like this and, and, and find that today's topic, if you will, or the, the emphasis of these scriptures is, is that we would have a rooted hope. I was like, wow, I'm, I'm just glad we're not talking about marriage today or, or, or about parenting or finances because I think that, that we, we need hope and I want us to know that we have hope because our recent lives, whether it is the, the big global stories or whether it's the small stories, have, have definitely unsettled us in some ways and, and, and then it makes us realize that maybe like we said last week, the roots that we have are maybe a little too shallow or they're not tapping into something that is ultimately life-giving. And so we need to have deeper roots that, that flow from the life-giver if we're going to have a, a real and living hope. And, and I think that, I mean, if there's, if there's ever a week that we need good news that is better than the current events, it's this one. And so we need to be rooted in what is real and true and eternal. And we said last week that we, when we are rooted in the transcendent, that we're not as reactive to the temporary. When we're rooted in the transcendent, we're not as reactive to the temporary. And so today, where last week we looked at who we are in Christ and what is our identity and what does it mean to be an elect exile who's chosen by God but, but chastised by the world, who has an eternal home but is, but is living in a place that is not our home and yet is familiar in some regards. Like how do we navigate that tension? And how do we walk out a life as new created beings, like new members of the family of God, where he says, may grace and peace multiply to you. How can we be multipliers of grace and peace in a world uh, that wants to multiply division and death and destruction? And so we saw that we were empowered by the Trinity through the Holy Spirit, that we're loved by God the Father, that we've been sacrificed for by God the Son. And so that's who we are in Christ. And today I want us to be focused on where we're going with Christ, where we can have a rooted hope. And and as we look at 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to be in verses uh, 3 through 12, and and Peter, who's writing to this church, he's writing to a bunch of churches in um, Asia Minor in the area of of modern-day Turkey. He's in Rome, and he, he knows things are getting bad in Rome, and he knows things are about to get worse in Turkey, kind of like a reverse deal, like if you had a a pastor right now in Ukraine, or a pastor right now in, in Europe that's going more secular than we are, and they're saying, hey, you guys in America, things are going to get rougher than you think they are. Like, I want you to be prepared. I want you to know your identities in Christ. I want you to have hope, not just in your circumstances, but real and living hope in Jesus Christ. And so what Paul's going to do in these three sections, or rather four sections, is he's going to set hope out first with our future destination, second with a, with a present hope. How does it impact us today? Like third with, with how do we remain faithful in that? And then finally, he, he works all the way backwards and says, we can have great hope today and in the future because we've seen how God has worked in the past. And so that's where we're going today. So first section is future hope verses three through five. I'll read them and we'll talk about them. It says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, 
He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. And so I'm, I'm kind of calling this section future hope for former sinners. Because like I said, Peter, as he's writing to these churches, wants them to have the end in mind that, that hey, where you were without God was a sinner separated from God. It means that you actually don't have a lot of hope. The Bible's pretty clear that, that um, without Jesus Christ, there's no hope for us in the world or for eternity. That we're not recipients of grace where we're vessels of wrath, that we're not like at peace with God, but we're actually rebels of God. This is who we are without Christ. And so he just, he wants you to be reminded of who you are, that because of sin, that we are spiritually dead, that we don't have eternal hope. And hope is something we have to define as a, a perspective of, or a belief in, a better future than our present reality. And so if you came in today and you're not a Christian and you don't know Jesus at all, like, I hate to break it to you guys, this is as good as it gets for you. Again, whether it's one day or a thousand or a couple more years or a couple more decades, this is as good as it gets. So you might have a hope that some aspects of your life might get better. But at some point, you're going to hit middle age and you just realize, like, your body's not going to work the way it used to. Or you're going to peak in your career and you realize, oh man, there's not going to be much more achievement at this point. Or you're going to retire and, and, and go into your golden years, and you're like, man, I, these were not as great as the years before. And if you don't have an eternal perspective, if you're only focused on what you can see, then you're going to get very discouraged and despairing. But more than that, and just as significant as that, is your eternal destiny. Because it means that when you die, I, it's not a nihilistic nothing happens. No, your soul was built for eternity. But because of sin, you're separated from God. And at a certain point, it's appointed to men and women once to die. And then you're judged. And your judge like, is looking at you based on your good and your bad. And he's not weighing it. It's just like, hey, you've got sin. If there's going to be an eternity of peace and purity, sin can't be a part of it. And so God's justice for us is, is wrath. It is being separated from God. And I know that that's not good news, so we need good news, right? That, that he says, no, no, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because according to his great what? Mercy. Mercy is that you do not get what you deserve. That you don't get the judgment you deserve. In fact, you receive a, a pardon for that. And what's amazing about this is that we have and see a hope rooted in the character of God. It's displayed in Jesus, and He can give us a better present than our past because we have a certain future with Him. And, and He gives us great mercy because He's He's meted out great justice on Jesus. So we believe that Jesus Christ is, yes, the Savior King of God's people, but He's also our perfect sacrifice. That when we look at the cross of Jesus, we see what we deserve for our sin. The Bible says the wages of sin are death. But the free gift of eternal life is what comes with faith in Jesus Christ. And so there's hope for a way out of the justice we deserve. And, and so today, 
it's not just good news we need, it, it's, it's great news of, of God's graciousness in Jesus. That in Jesus, our failure doesn't define our future destination. In Jesus Christ, your failure, my failure, our sin does not define our eternal destination. And what is awesome about this is he doesn't just say, hey, by the way, you should totally be a Christian because I don't want you to go to hell. I don't want you to burn. Well, okay, of course not. Nobody, nobody wants that. But it's not much of a future hope if you're just told, hey, by the way, bad things aren't gonna happen to you in the future. No, I wanna know that the future that I have that's secured in Jesus Christ is exponentially better than the present I have today. And so... He gives us that hope in these verses because he says we have hope because we've been made new. The, the phrase here says is born again. What that really means in a better translation is born from above. That again, apart from God, you, you are, have a spiritual death, but in Christ, there's spiritual life. That, you are, that you're new, that the, that the you that was walking away from God and, and not following Jesus, that, that new is, is dead and buried. That's what we celebrate in baptism, the old you being buried. The new you has come. You are risen. You are a new creation. You're not yet perfect. There's still sin that impacts your life. There's, there's, there's still brokenness within us, but, but you're new, and so it means that you're not enslaved to, to sin anymore. We're not our old selves that we don't have to be concerned about our efforts to grow in vain because, because we're not like, okay, if I can just finally like, get it all right, then my communion with God will be good. Or maybe if I, if I come to him and, and do just enough that he will accept that and, and I can surrender to him and, and now I'll be at peace. Yes, there is a surrender, but there's also a, what the Bible calls a sanctification, meaning a, a cleaning and a purification that comes from the Holy Spirit that you have been born again, that you are new and you are being made new, and that he hasn't just made you a new creation, but he's given you a new hope. He says you have a living hope in Jesus Christ. And then he references, of course, the resurrection, that, that, that we have a, uh, we're not a slave to our own brokenness, we have a hope that's in Jesus. And, and when we say that Jesus is a living hope, what that means for us is that we have a hope that's active, that's what the word means. It's not just like, well, yeah, Jesus is alive, yes and amen, we believe that. But it means that he's actively ruling and reigning over history. That he's actively involved in, in the, the course of our lives. That he's actively involved in, in shaping and changing our hearts and giving us new desires. That it means that there's never a point that hope is dead. There may be times we feel hopeless. But in Jesus Christ, there's just never a time that hope is dead or that hope is not working. We might think that hope is distant, but it's, he's in fact very close and that can be a comfort to us. It means that when we need hope, we don't just have to like, gosh, I wish I had some hope. But we go to Jesus, who's a living hope because of his resurrection, because of his power, that Jesus gives us hope in a future destiny. He says, okay, you have hope because you're made new. You have hope because Jesus is alive and he's active. And you have a future hope because you have an inheritance. 
We said last week that a lot of what Peter does in this letter to uh, these churches in Asia is trying to let them know that, that you might not be uh, ethnically Jewish, you might not be part of what the Old Testament called the people of God, but if you're a Christian, you're part of the people of God. And so he's constantly tying the church and New Testament believers to the Old Testament people of God. And in the Old Testament, when the people of God were under slavery in Egypt and they're, they're brought out by the mighty hand of God and they're led through what looked incredibly hopeless until the Red Sea parted. And then they're led through the wilderness where they're sustained for 40 years, wandering in the wilderness. What they were looking forward to and their future hope was an inheritance. And it's not an inheritance the way we think about it. Like, right? When you think inheritance, you're like, do I have a relative who's like really well off? Do they not have any kids? Like, I mean, am I going to find it? Like, do I get to go to like an old house and, and like the, the lawyer comes out and then we like duke it out with other family members, right? You know, and like, you're like, oh, I want that big inheritance. I want, I want something, you know, tangible. I want, I want something financial. But see, the inheritance for the people of God wasn't I'm leaving you out in wilderness, but I'm gonna go ahead and like give you some more money. Like at a certain point, it doesn't matter how much money you have if you're stuck in wilderness, right? No, the inheritance was the promised land. What does that mean? It means our inheritance, the future inheritance we're looking for isn't wealth uh, to behold, but it is a place to belong. It's a place of dwelling. It's a place of belonging. It's a place of communion with God and his people. Yes, it's a place to prosper, but it's also a place to experience joy, to worship. It's a legacy to receive. It's a legacy to, excuse me, to pass on. And what happened to the Old Testament people, right? They get this inheritance. And, you can, and you're always like, why do they talk about the borders? And why do they talk about all the people, you know, in, in Numbers and Leviticus and all that stuff? Like, well, he's, he's letting them know if you're part of the people of God, you have an inheritance, you are part of a legacy. You have a legacy. You're going to leave a legacy. And for these people, and for us, he's saying, no, no, you are, have a future dwelling place with God and his people. But for the Old Testament, they were, I mean, just a lot like us, right? They were not faithful. They received the grace of God, but they didn't, they, they didn't embody it in a way that led to greater faithfulness. And so, like, they were super unfaithful. Sin enters y y into the nation, like, like, right away, like, all the time. Like, I mean, man, you look at the Old Testament, and it's just failure and failure and failure of the people of God and faithfulness and faithfulness and faithfulness of the God of the Bible to his people. No matter how much you failed, no matter how unfaithful you think you are, there's a God who's exponentially more faithful than you could ever be unfaithful. And he gives you mercy. He gives you grace in Jesus Christ. And so for these people, like their land got defiled with sin. Their land got rolled over by foreign armies. They got sent to exile. You read the Old Testament and you see that like God's people, like their land had an ascendancy all right, we got David, now we got Solomon, like all this wealth, like, like wow, Israel's like this kind of superpower, if you will, at one point in the world, this place of wealth, this place of wisdom, this place of dwelling, this place of prosperity. And then it peaks. And then and we see this over and over in human history, right? Nations rise, they peak, empires fall. 
And so for the people of God, they had experienced receiving an inheritance. But the end of the Old Testament leads to God's people being pulled back into slavery in Egypt. I don't know what to say other than that doesn't give me a lot of hope. So when he says, you have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, he is contrasting our future dwelling place with God to the former dwelling place of God and his people in the promised land. And so he's saying, hey, the land you're going to, the place that we are going to in the future, the new heavens and the new earth with Jesus Christ, that place is a place of great hope because it is imperishable, it says. That means it will never die. It's not capable of ending. You never have to worry in eternity if another kingdom is going to come and steal and destroy and kill your land. In the future, We'll have our hope realized in a way that we can finally exhale and tears and fears are no more because it's an inheritance that's imperishable. He says all as well, it's an inheritance that is undefiled, that the future kingdom, the future hope that we have is, it has no sin. It is a place of purity. It's where God's people have been made clean. It's where God's people are kept clean for God. It's, it's where the impact of sin and the memories of sin are no more. So for those of us who have been through abuse, those memories, that defilement that you experience in the new heavens and new earth, no more. Undefiled that there's not even the possibility of sin because it is undefilable. It's a place of eternal purity in the best, most perfect sense of that word. Right? That word gets wonky for us sometimes. We think like, oh, it's just very buttoned up. No, pure. That, means, that means integrity. That means flourishing. That means, that means joy. A place of purity, a place of life that is undefiled. The potential of sin is zero. Purity is infinite. And then he says as well that it's unfading. That the kingdom that we look forward to is one that is glorious and radiant is beautiful. It, it doesn't, as we said, get better, peak, and then go down. No, no. It's a kingdom that just keeps getting better and better and better. And so when you think about uh, like, like uh, an unfading glory of a kingdom, it means that when we're in that kingdom, we are going to be embodied by a real hope that, wait, tomorrow's going to be better than today? The day after's going to be better than tomorrow? The day after that's going to be better and better and better and better? Like, like, the, the Bible says, like, we can't even comprehend the riches that God has for us. We can't even comprehend the good things that God has for us in the future. And I think that's because we always have, in the back of our mind, a very realistic fear that when things are going well, we're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Or when things are starting to ascend, we're like, well, what goes up must come down. He says, not so in the future kingdom. It's a kingdom of eternal hope, of a better and better future. And the reason that all of this is happening is because it is secured by God. This is a hope of a future with God that is protected by God. It's like that inheritance is safe. It can't be lost. It's secure. It means your final destination is an eternity with God as, as his son or as his daughter. And so it gives us the simple truth for us to, to hold on to that the best is not now, the best is yet to come. If your hope is in Jesus Christ, 
no matter what your circumstances, how great they are or how awful they are, the best is always yet to come. And that gives us great hope for, for, for the future. So maybe you're like, you know what, gosh, that sounds great. When do we get to go? I mean, like, like for Dave Grant, it was this week. We believe that Dave Grant is in glory. Jesus says to the thief on the cross, like, today you'll be with me in paradise. Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Father. That means Dave is with the Father in paradise. It's way better than what we have. And so I think that for us, when we focus on a future hope, and, and that's it, I don't want to say that's it, I mean, that's, it should be huge. I think it leads us to, to places of kind of wanting to check out, right? Um, I, I don't know anything about the character of this person, but the, the president of Ukraine, um, just, just yesterday, um, he was apparently offered uh, by our government a, a ride out, like, hey, we'll, we'll come in with a strike force and we'll, we'll get you and your family out. He says, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't need a ride out. I need more ammunition. I think a lot of us in difficult circumstances, we want the ride out when God's called us to stay. When God's called us to endure. When God's called us to be faithful where he has us or who he has us with. And so I know that a ride out sounds super attractive, but we need hope to help us endure, recognizing that we're, we're in a bit of a battle, right? Like, this is not our forever home, and so we need, we need to have a present hope, and that leads us to verses six through seven. It says this. In this you rejoice. He's talking about that future hope. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so this is where we see present hope today. He, it, it's where we see we have joy in trials, that, that Peter has this rooted living hope in a future inheritance. Yep, we're gonna be, we are born again. We're going to have um, you know, a future inheritance with God. But, but I say this all the time. I hope you, you get it. I love how realistic the Bible is about humanity and the world and the human condition. Peter's like, yep, future inheritance, amazing. Undefiled, right? Unending, all that. And I know today's hard. He's like, I know today is hard. Yeah, there's, there's real trials. The reason that we want hope, the reason that we long for better is because none of us are satisfied with what is. None of us are like, yeah, this is great. I, 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 like contentment, yes, fight for contentment. But he's like, no, you're, you're designed to want more. Like, you're not designed to, to want to suffer, but, but we're going to face trials. And these trials, he says, are going to cause us great grief, right? If for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. And what I love about that word there is he's not talking about the, 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 how hard the trial is. Yeah, trials are hard. But the word is actually talking about your emotional reaction to the trials you're facing. That's that word grieved. He wants hope, he wants emotional hope for us. And so it starts with joy, it ends with joy. And so you, like, you kind of have like joy bread with a grief sandwich, right? He's like, hey, I got some joy for you on the front end. I got some joy for you in the back end, but let's not pretend that in the middle isn't a sandwich full of grief. And that, yeah, there's, 
There's times we're going to have to eat it a bit. There's times that the trials we go through are painful. And it's important that if you want hope to acknowledge and be realistic about the pain suffered, the emotions felt, and, and I want to be clear, we don't want to be people who are ruled by our emotions. That does not go well. Ever just pop off? Hmm. Doesn't go well. But heaven help us if we're people numb to emotions. Unprocessed. Just shove it down. And then try to engage with a world who is completely untethered from like objective reality and is just completely ruled by their emotions. I mean, good luck engaging. And then also like, just for you personally, for me personally, for us, like if you don't process and deal with your emotions, they will eventually rule over you. You can only shove things down for so long and they're gonna, they start to come out in other areas that are usually unhealthy for you or for those around you. And so grief, like other emotions, needs to be named, expressed, experienced, processed. But if you don't have hope, then when you go into grief, there's, there's not an opportunity to experience another emotion after that because grief just becomes this place you dwell rather than part of the journey that you're going on. And so it has to be processed so you can move to other emotions. And, and, and I believe that this process of, uh, of engaging with your grief, particularly in the midst of trials, refines you and reforms us in ways that leads to greater resiliency. And he says, eventually, to rejoicing. And part of that is having that eternal perspective of the suffering that you and I and we are enduring in light of eternity. This, this section we just read is very, very similar, right, to um, 2 Corinthians 4, uh, where Paul says uh, to the Corinthian church, right, we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self's being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal way to glory. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. This light and momentary affliction. Here he says um, that, uh, that the trials that you're going through, he says, for a little while. How many of us have gone through things that were like, I don't think that was a little while. Or we're still going through things where we're like, this is, this is a little while? Yes, it is in light of eternity. But it doesn't mean we don't go through long seasons of suffering, long seasons of grief. But Paul and Peter, both writing to these churches, trying to equip them for the difficult circumstances they're in, wants them to have the perspective that in light of eternity, the present suffering you're going through with now is momentary. It's temporary, as we say, it's transient. And he, in, he, in these verses, Peter, writing to these churches, refers to it as a refining fire. I mean, that imagery, I think, should resonate with us in some regards because a refining fire is different than other types of fire. Right? You got a brush fire. You got a, a fire at your house. Nobody's happy about that. But a refining fire? Well, that means there's an artisan 
That means there's an artisan who's, who's taking something that is raw, right? He's got raw materials, right? He's got, he's got gold, he's got silver. I don't know, I'm not, I'm not like a metalsmith, right? But he, he's taking like, like the, the raw metal that, that has deformities, it has defilement, like he's got all these things, and he's gonna put it into the fire, and what comes out of that is something pure and better. Ooh, does it scorch? Does it burn? Does it hurt? Yup, this hurts. But what comes out of it is pure. What comes out of it is valuable. What comes out of it has, it has been purposefully shaped for beauty, for function, for form, for whatever it is, but for whatever the creator designs it to be. And so when we're going through refining fires, it doesn't make the heat less hot, but it helps us understand that some of it isn't purposeless, but is actually purposeful. The meme's been going around, I think, the last two weeks of like two things people hate, and one is um, uh, things staying the same, and the other is change. And I think that's us, right? I don't want things to stay the same. Ooh, I don't like change either. Sometimes what God is doing to us or allowing to happen to us is to produce the change he's promised to produce in us. That doesn't excuse abuse. That doesn't excuse sin done to you. That doesn't give a a pass to the brokenness of the world. But it does mean that our trials, our suffering, our difficulties don't always have to be senseless, but sometimes there's a purpose to it. And it doesn't, doesn't minimize or marginalize our pain, but it maximizes the glory that comes from knowing God that dwarfs our despair. And so in 2 Corinthians, right, he says the glory has this weight. It means it's substantial. It means it's valuable. It means it's enduring. That we have hope even in suffering that, that it's gonna end. I mean, like, Peter says it's for a little while. Paul says it's light and momentary. What that tells you is no matter how bad things get, it's gonna end. It's not forever. What's forever is our eternity with Jesus. What's forever is that place of glory, that place with no more sin. And so while he says, hey, focus on not what you can see, because may, I, I just tell you, I'm at, Friday, my, my Friday night was just, tell me what's going on, what, what's happening over there, and it's just, it's scrolling, and it's looking at new, and I was like, if that's all I can see, if that's all we can see is, you know, what's on Instagram, what's on Twitter, what's on cable news, you know, however you get, if that's all there is, there's no hope. But if our hope is what's in, what is unseen, then that means the very real spiritual battles that are going on in our world, in our own hearts, in our families, in our church, that there's a promise of victory. That even when we're suffering for a little while, it will and it will not last forever. Joy comes and glory comes and they last forever. And that gives us, I pray, hope for endurance. That we're gonna face trials and, and they can cause us grief. It doesn't mean we ever have to be happy about it. Like, like don't, don't ever like let some Christian tell you like, well, you know, you're sharing the sufferings of Christ so you should just be happy about it. I mean, Jesus wasn't happy about it. But at a certain point, he says, not my will, but your will be done. And he endured for us. 
we can have hope for endurance, not because of our faithfulness and character, but because of his. See, if we're going to have a rooted hope, it implies a disposition of patience. Because hope means that we're waiting for something that's better than today. That we're waiting for something to be realized. And what that also means then is that hope isn't circumstantial. Because it's not based on today, it's based on what we know about the future. I mean... My wife and I have had the conversations over this last week, like, what would we do, you know, if this was happening, you know, in our area? I, I don't know. And if some of y'all got more guns than me, I'd probably just go to your house, right? I know where you live. We'll go hang out. <laughs> you, know, you know things are bad if I show up in your backyard. Okay. Our hope's not circumstantial. Our hope's based on the future. And so we also know that hope is for refinement. We've talked about that. I mean, I'm not a patient person. If there's something I, I hate more than waiting, it's being refined. Like I said, that fire's still hot. It's okay to say the fire's hot. But we have hope for refinement when we know what it's hoping to produce. That we're being refined by a fire that, for the purpose of producing a better future. I mean, right, we say we want to grow. We say we want to change. We say we want to be more rooted. We want to be more Christ-like. Then we're going to go through some heat. And the us, five years from now, 10 years from now, 30 years from now, I hope is one that's been refined by fire. See, I, I don't know what Dave Grant was like in the 70s and 80s, other than they said he preached the Bible and he was a good, faithful pastor. Amen, that's awesome. I got to meet him later in life, and, and that's why I saw this contagious joy. I don't know if it was always there. Maybe Dave went through some refining fires that led him to great joy and endurance in Jesus. Maybe like when we see older saints and we're like, man, they're just so chill. It's because they've been through the refining fire. And maybe as we're going through whatever we're going through, whenever we're going through it, maybe we can exhale and have a little bit of peace and a little bit of hope that maybe there's a purpose for this. And then we can remain faithful. Well, leads us to verses eight and nine. Eight and nine are all about faithfulness. He says, though you've not seen him, he's talking about Jesus Christ, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Faith is in what's unseen. We worship an unseen Jesus. We have hope in an unseen Jesus, but not in an unknown outcome. We have hope in an unseen Jesus, but not in an unknown outcome. And so for Peter, he's writing to these elect exiles who, who you know, for them, you know, they've actually always lived in those areas likely, but they now feel this disconnect because they're not yet home. And Peter's like, hey, I know how you feel. Peter said, I've been with Jesus. I've seen Jesus. I've walked with Jesus. I've heard his preaching. I've heard his teaching. I've seen his miracles. At one point, me and John were brought up to a hill and I saw glory of Jesus. And I saw Jesus suffer and die. And I saw Jesus' empty tomb. And I saw Jesus' resurrection. And I saw Jesus' ascension into heaven where Jesus says, hey, I'm coming back. In the meantime, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so what did Peter do? Peter did that. He planted churches. 
He raised up leaders. He traveled. He, he, he went around preaching and sharing the gospel. And he's saying, hey, I'm, I'm like you guys. But you have more faith than me, Peter says. Because I have faith in the Jesus I saw. You never saw Jesus, but you love him. Because the Holy Spirit's revealed to you who he is through God's word. And Peter's in that same place that we are of like, hey, Jesus has shown up. Jesus hasn't come back yet, and I'm in the middle of that. And that's where we are in the story. He's saying, I want you just to be faithful in where God has you and what God has you to do. Just continue to be faithful. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. That's not an intellectual assent like, yeah, okay, I historically believe Jesus existed. No, it's a laying down and a resting deeply in who Jesus is and what he's done. As we look forward to that future city, our faith, as I said, is in an unseen Jesus, not an unknown outcome. Because he says the outcome of your faith. He's not saying if you're super faithful, you're gonna get saved. He's saying, no, the faith you have today, that faith when you first believe in who Jesus is, that, that faith that says there's more to life than this and, 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 that, and that I'm not sufficient on my own, but I need Jesus as my savior, I need to follow him as my king. He's like, he's like that, that faith, the outcome of it at the end is the full salvation of your soul, meaning being with God, in communion with God, with God forever, where our longing will end and our striving will cease and the promises of God will finally be possessed. And so he's given us this future hope. He's given us a present hope in, in, in who God is and what he's done for us. And he's, he's told us to remain faithful and have hope and faithfulness. And then finally, in these last verses as we close, he wants us to be reminded that hope is promised. It says this in verses 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets, he's talking about Old Testament prophets, who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he was predicting the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels long to look. He's saying we can have a great hope because God's past is prologue for our present and promises our future. God's past is prologue for our present and promises for our future. That we have a rooted hope in the future of what's gonna happen right now in the present because we can look back and say, well, look at all the times God was faithful. I mean, God did bring his people out of slavery. God did take his people through the Red Sea. God did lead his people through wilderness. God did give his people a promised land. God was faithful to his people when they were exiled into a foreign land. And the grass withered and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endured forever. And when there was 400 years of silence and darkness where, where God didn't speak to the prophets and God's people were like, have you forgotten us? Hope arrived in Jesus Christ. Light shone into the darkness. The king was born. 
And he lived that perfect life that we haven't lived. And he died that death we all deserve for our sin. And he rose again so that we can have new life now and forever. And so he's referring to the fact that since the beginning, when God created everything good, and then sin enters the world, that there has been, yes, uh, there's history of what's happening. And then there's also the spiritual realm of what's going on too. He says the angels long to see this. He's talking about spiritual beings that are, that are in heaven and they're saying, I can't wait for God to finish what he started. And what does that look like for you? And what does that look like for me? Because yes, there will be a cosmic end to, to that conflict. Jesus comes back with a word, evil is vanquished, new heavens, new earth, hey, that, that's great, yes and amen. But when Jesus was talking about what, what leads to the, the angels getting stirred up, what leads to the angels rejoicing, in Luke 15, 10, Jesus says, angels in heaven rejoice when one sinner repents. So yeah, I mean, big battle across the world. But the one that we are waging today and the one that we're part of today is the battle right in here. And so my prayer for you is that we'd, in us, is that we'd have hope for the future. We'd have hope in the present for endurance. And if you've not placed your hope in Jesus, that today would be the day that you surrender, that you repent, that you follow Jesus as your king, that you rely on Jesus as your savior, and that you get to be born again to a living and active hope that comes when you have faith in Jesus Christ. That is the hope of mankind. You want to see the conflict end in Ukraine? Pray Putin gets saved. And for all those people that are in fear and terror, for all of us that have been walking around in fear and terror, pray that we would have courage, not because we're just awesome and got this bravado, but we'd have great courage knowing that our inheritance is secure in the God who's holding on to it. And that we rely on his faithfulness and not our own. We have assurance in Christ that there's victory in the big story and there's victory in the small stories. I think that's what's amazing about how just Christians for thousands of years, whether it's been Ukraine or whether it's been in Russia or England or Cleveland or here or, or, or wherever, that when they gather together, yes, we preach about the future hope that we have in Christ. But what, what he said, I want you to, to remember my faithfulness is each and every week is, he said, when you gather together, take the cup recognizing my shed blood. Take the bread recognizing my broken body. That our hope for the future comes in Jesus' past faithfulness on the cross. So if you're in Christ, in a moment, we'll, we'll pray and we'll stand and we'll sing praises to our King. And we'll look forward to our future. And we'll endure in our present because we remember what Jesus Christ has done in the past to secure for us a rooted hope when we simply trust Jesus. Let's pray.